Welcome to Your Voice Matters podcast. How your voice and communication help you succeed in life? It's the burning question of this season. This podcast aims to bring together the experiences of professionals who work with communication, voice and leadership skills, but in different perspectives. My name is Ines Moura. I'm an executive vocal coach and I'm the host of this podcast. I hope you enjoyed and you feel inspired. Welcome to Your Voice Matters podcast. Today, my guest is Heather Anson. She's a global communication specialist, author of the book called Power People Skills and a TEDx speaker. She's from the United States, but she's living abroad since 2002 in Europe and Asia. Her work has taken her to 16 countries in four continents, and her works come from all over the world. She's on a mission to unmute leaders and teams so they can be more innovative, inclusive, and efficient while adapting to modern challenges. Heather, welcome to this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to do this with you and talk a bit about a subject that's so important to both of us. And tell us a little bit about yourself. So how did, how did you start working as a global communication specialist, uh, English pronunciation consultant? So how was this journey? that uh, brought you here? Yeah, well, my educational background is in international studies with a focus on language and society. So my first degree was really all about linguistic anthropology and sociolinguistics. I always had a very strong interest in the intersection of language and identity. And I think that accent plays a huge role in that, in our identity. And after that, I got a certificate in teaching English. So I had a bit of an English teaching background as well. And then when I moved to Singapore, the first job that I had was training 1,800 pilots for the local airline in how to do better public announcements. So it was quite a bit on intelligibility and pronunciation, but it was also about empathy and how do you build empathy with your voice? So something I'm sure that you are even more knowledge about than, than I am. How do we use our voice and our articulation in a way to really touch someone and, and build empathy with them? So from there, that really sparked a deeper interest in learning more about intelligibility in global settings. So we have a regional linguistic library here in Singapore. I locked myself in there for about three years straight, reading every academic article, every textbook, everything there is on the pronunciation of English. English as a lingua franca, global English, world Englishes, all the different varieties of English spoken in the world. And that culminated in producing my first online course, the Pronunciation Mastery Program, which I launched in 2013. So I've been at this for quite a while now. And my perspective has always been that there is no perfect English, right? There, you don't have to sound American or British to be successful in the world, or at least you shouldn't have to. And, and that serves as the foundation for all of the work that I do. I don't believe in accent reduction, accent neutralization. We focus on clarity in speech and how we can be best understood all over the world. Mm -hmm. So exactly the that part that the having an accent, it's not bad necessarily. So for those who don't speak um, native English, the concern about, oh, I'm not speaking the perfect English. And you believe that there's no perfect English. It's such a globalized language that we should focus on clarity and not the perfection. So there's no perfection, right, in, in English. 
Exactly right. And this is something that our teachers have taught us, our societies have taught us, all of our textbooks have taught us right and wrong. Your grammar is either correct or it's incorrect. Well, there's a lot of gray area actually in between, not just between British and American English, but depending on where you are in the world. So what makes one variety of English better than another? If I'm in Singapore, then Singapore English is the best English to use because that is what everyone here speaks. If I am in a certain part of the UK, it's that specific dialect of English that's used in that specific part of the UK. It still isn't necessarily the received pronunciation or the gold standard, the Queen's English. The Queen doesn't even speak the Queen's English anymore. So <laughs> we really need to shift our mindset away from this idea that there is a perfect gold standard because there really isn't. And this is why I talk a lot about accepting bad English, because there is no such thing. There's no such thing as bad English. It's simply different than maybe what you were raised with or what you were taught. Uh, but when we go out into the world, a very, very small minority, only about 5 million people speak English with received pronunciation, which is the typical textbook that what you heard on your CDs, learning English in school from the UK. Mm -hmm. And that specific accent and pronunciation, 5 million. What are the chances you're going to run into these people in global business settings? They have all of their own regional dialects and accents. And I don't think we're preparing people for that reality when they go out into the world. And it's like, wait, this isn't the English I learned in school. What, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And it goes the other way as well with the native speaker who goes into situations thinking they speak the gold standard, the American that goes into the meeting and, uh, you know, speaks too quickly and uses idioms and all of those things, and they aren't understood and they can't understand why, because it's my language and, and your English must not be good enough, but that isn't really it. That's not it. It's all of our responsibility. Also, because uh, what you, uh, what, what I heard you saying in your, in your TED talk, which I, I recommend, uh, which is around how to speak bad English perfectly. And I really love the title. You also mentioned that, I'm just giving a, key, uh, a spoiler here, uh, that sometimes we use English expressions based on our, um, our experience, for example, with sports-related um, expressions, uh, some corporate jargon that doesn't um, necessarily is understood by other people in other parts of the world because we have different backgrounds that have uh, influence in the way we speak English as well. And we exactly. must be aware of that and, and try yes. to reduce a little bit of the jargon uh, or the things that we use naturally that belongs to our maybe our uh, our country or our community and try to what do you, what do you say to simplify to try to what's clarity uh, in speaking English what do you think right yeah because part of it is the actual articulation of the sounds. We know from the research that there are certain sounds that are more important in global settings and ones that I have to be careful of. And I just caught myself slipping. I'll tell you why. One of the sounds is a T, a very clear and crisp T. This is not natural in American English. So I just said the word important, but I did not say it that way. I said important, important. I dropped that middle T. That T is actually really important. And I should have it in that word, just like internet, international, uh, not internet, 
international, the way I would speak it. So paying attention to T is a really important, important one. Then there's also important. the R. Important, important. It's so difficult as an American. It's one I really have to think about when I'm doing podcasts or speaking to global audiences. I try to be mindful, but I slip all the time. Uh, the other sound that's important is the R. And this is where my, my British friends don't always like me very much because in the non-rhotic languages where R's are typically dropped, ver varieties of English, a lot of them in the UK, although not all, there are many varieties in the UK who, that do use an R, but the typical car park instead of car park. And if you think about this from a non-native perspective, like think about when you were learning English, you go through that period of needing to translate. You need to see the word in front of you and figure out the sounds. And that's what a lot of lower level English speakers are doing. They're listening to the sounds. So if you're dropping sounds like T's and R's, which are very commonly dropped, depending on the variety, that is very difficult for lower level English speakers to catch. Mm -hmm. And so we know, so we know that there are linguistic things like this. Every consonant sound needs to be unique. Vowels need to be held for the right amounts of time. We need to emphasize the, the important words and speech chunks. The, these are the linguistics behind it. Mm -hmm. But more than that, we have avoiding idioms like uh, hit it out of the ballpark or hit it out of the park. You know, we have so many in American English. We have so many sports analogies and idioms that we don't even know how to translate them because they're so ingrained in the way that we speak, you know, uh, a touchdown and touching base. And these all come from American sports that aren't played in the rest of the world or most of it. Mm -hmm. So we have to be really careful with those. And then just really big words. I call them the SAT words from our, our, college entrance exams in the US, these huge words that we have to learn that we feel very proud of ourselves that we score high on that test. But you go out in the world and try to use them and people won't understand you and they don't really care. They aren't judging your eloquence by your vocabulary. In fact, it's the opposite. They, If they can't understand you, they lose your message. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of this other stuff we have to take into consideration, the cultural nuances and those idioms, analogies, the phrasal verbs even, which are very difficult to, to take out of the speech. Um, there's a lot to it. So it's not just the, the person learning English, the international user of English that has to be thinking about speaking clearly and, and having good English, whatever that is. Um, I also have to think about it as a native speaker in a global environment, how do I have good English that everyone understands? And that's the key. Is it clear? And can people understand your message? That's what's most important. Mm -hmm. Is to, to be understood in a global environment, such, such right. as the world today. Uh, yeah, everybody is in a global environment now, especially after the pandemic. Everyone is speaking to everyone in every corner of the world. We're living all over. We're moving around. We're remote working. And I think more and more often we are going to be globally connected and talking to people across languages, across borders. Mm -hmm. So these issues and topics need to be talked about so much more. So I'm so happy we're doing this today and, and talking about it because it's really important. It's important. Important. <laughs> and also because this is really a way to include people. Uh, one, one thing that I that I that you mentioned is that we we use English to include or to exclude. Like you belong or you don't belong. You, you know, I, I'm not similar to you. So and, and you uh, working in a global environment, probably you see that sometimes when we exclude some 
some kind of accents or some, you know, or you categorize as right or wrong, you are excluding people sometimes with a bias and you don't even notice that you are excluding someone and accepting the global English or the broken English or different kinds of English is really a way to, to make all the voices heard and to accept everyone in. And that's really interesting because it, if you if you don't speak the, the as you as you said the Queen uh, British, you you don't you shouldn't be you know be super uh, you know worried about that because even as you said even the Queen doesn't speak the, the perfect probably the the perfect English that we should um, have in mind when you we study like we have this this uh, role models or this kind of ah we should speak like that and what i'm worried about is that people who don't prevent themselves to speak to speak up because they think they're not good enough so you see this when you work with your clients absolutely absolutely this is the biggest problem and this is what i'm i've written about in my next book which is unmuted uh, because i think we have so many global professionals who are not speaking up, who long before the pandemic had already pressed that mute button and weren't participating fully, weren't fully showing up at work, weren't sharing their ideas. I know just in my own experience, speaking Danish fluently, I'm married to a Dane. I lived eight years in Denmark, two separate stints. And I'm a very different person in Danish. I think people who meet me in Danish don't ever fully know me because I don't raise my hand in the meeting. I'm not as eager to speak up. Mm -hmm. I hide a lot of who I am. I have a very different personality. And I think that's what really pushed me to do what I do because I thought, what about the people who can't switch back to their native language? I can switch back to English at any time, especially in Denmark. Everyone speaks English. If I wanted to, I could switch to English and regain my power, regain my status, regain my control, right? Because now I'm the native speaker. I'm mm -hmm. not thinking, I'm not worried, I'm not self-conscious. But what about people from China, Japan, Korea, you know, people who, yeah, Portugal. just all over the Portugal, yeah, who can't just say, hey, uh, how about we speak my language for a while, because that would be a little bit easier and I can rest my brain, you know, and I thought, what about those people who have to live like this every day and create a career in global environments in English, and they're dealing with this all the time. So this is a huge part of my work is how do we unmute these people with great ideas, because our world is facing so many problems and we're not going to solve these problems by listening to the same ideas from all the same people that we've been listening mm -hmm. to for years and years. We desperately need new ideas. We need global voices and they have to be confident to speak up. And so this, mm -hmm. this piece is just really critical in, in helping people to, to speak up in English. Especially now that companies are investing so much in these uh, buzzwords as diversity and inclusion, we should listen all the voices. But then, when they you know have to listen all the voices, are they really listening? And you re you really put this emphasis on we should be better listeners as well. What's your yes. opinion about that? Yeah, and just to go back to that diversity and inclusion piece, because you said you know, and you're absolutely right. They say, we need to listen to all of the voices and we need to include everyone. And yet the one thing that is missing from diversity, equity and inclusion policies is any note on language and accent. 
and the discrimination that we see in that. And so we're so focused on gender and sexuality and race, ethnicity, all of those things, which are all incredibly important. But underlying all of those is the language that we're using to speak and the immense bias that we have to pay better attention to those who sound like us or those who we believe sound better for whatever reason. We have all of these biases, judgments, prejudices around language could have been Mm -hmm. given to you by parents, by teachers growing up of what was the right and the wrong and the correct and incorrect and the perfect and the bad. And we're ignoring that in the professional setting. So we are creating these diversity and inclusion policies with blinders on where we aren't recognizing that we aren't promoting people because they're on mute. We aren't promoting them because they aren't speaking up in the meeting. We aren't promoting them or even hiring them because they sound different to us. And that's a huge problem that's going unnoticed. Mm -hmm. We're starting to hear more and more and more about this. It's so wonderful. It's gaining momentum. It's gaining traction. We're starting to talk a lot more about language bias, linguistic bias, accent bias, Uh, but it is still a very relatively new concept to a lot of diversity and inclusion professionals. So really important there. Um, So I'm glad that you brought that up. I just didn't want that to go by without, (laughs) you know, talking about that. Um, and, and of course, you know, the first way to get there is through better listening, which is what you were, mm-hmm. were pointing to next. Um, the, the listening is important. You know, I think one of our problems is institutional and in that our diversity and inclusion programs are not including the, the language piece. But the other problem is within each of us that we're holding ourselves back, that we um, have this inability to overcome our assumptions and biases and judgments around language because we actually aren't aware that they are there. So uh, that's the problem. That's the problem. We don't know that we have those bias. Exactly. We don't know it. We've never thought about it. We've never talked about it. But if you sat on your own and thought about even just movies and media, okay, this is a a place you see it right in front of you. If you look at popular, I mean, my my frame of reference is the U.S. because that's where I grew up. But of course, many of our shows have gone global, right? Look at any of the big blockbuster hits. Look at the way we portray people with non-American accented English. The Germans and the Russians, the Arabs, always the bad guys. They will always have over-exaggerated Arab, German, Russian accents. Um, The Brits are interesting. They've had kind of a renaissance, right? They used to be the bad guys. Now they're becoming like the sexy doctors. And, you know, they're very much in in our modern, every Netflix series has the token Brit with this gorgeous accent. So American perceptions changing quite a bit on, on the British accent. Look at the Asian accents, you know, even through the whole Black Lives Matter movement, we've become more aware of this the way that um, African-Americans are portrayed in the media, the way Asians are portrayed in the media, the Asian character in the film tends to be the like dim-witted, like uh, broken English, uh, awful kind of Chinese English accent, overly exaggerated. They tend to be made fun of. They're they're the humorous character or they're um, not as smart. And this isn't just... American versus other accents. It's also within America. So we have the same kind of bias within our own country. So Mm -hmm. no matter where you're from, you can think about, okay, what do I think about people from this part of my country? How do they sound? You know, in America, it's the Southern states, the Southern bell. They're, they're very friendly and hospitable, but they're also pretty dumb. Right. And then the Northeasterners, the New Yorkers, you know, they've got the the New York accent and they're kind of hard mafia, you know, all of that, but they have a really specific 
um, we have really specific ideas about them. So you can mm -hmm. sit in any language and you can think about it for yourself. Um, what have I seen? I mean, think about the Indian accent and how that has been portrayed across the board in movies, film, media, commercials, everything. Uh, and, and we have very, very strong biases around all of these accents and wherever you grew up, however you were educated, they can change and be different, but you need to become very aware of how you're judging people. The minute you hear them speak, I am very lucky because I'm so privileged. I was born into an accent that is seen as very prestigious in the world. And it's no different than being born white. I was born into my accent and mm -hmm. As an adult, it's very difficult to change that. And I think we can't hold that against people. But I've gone very far off track now from the original question. No, I get on please. my so No, no, no. I was, I was uh, uh, so happy to hear you. Uh, I think what you brought is really, really important. And I, I do, I, I have the same thing with voice. And you are speaking more exactly. globally. But when we, when we hear someone's voice, we immediately make an assumption about so many things. Like, you know, firstly, what's the nationality? Uh, you know, what's, what's the gender? What's the age? What's the health, um, you know, uh, uh, health condition? What's the, the pro probably the profession, the, the, you know, the occupation? And so many things, is this trustworthy or not? Is it credible? And we do so many assumptions just because someone has some kind of voice that we are not so used to. And that creates a bias, of course, in the way we interact with the other person and the expectations. And that's what, for example, my clients work with me. They want to align their voice with their identity and to their goal as well in the global, in this global environment. Because I don't want to be perceived as less competent because I have some voice feature that doesn't fit what the image that I want to convey. And some years ago, I did the research about how we listen um it was for a project in a in a in a in a company and i really good i really went very deep into the, the, the listening listening bias and i found out that there's like eight uh things that conditioning that are conditioning our listening and the first is our culture so when we hear someone from other culture we 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 lose some information because we lose that That, that specific things from that culture that we don't really catch, you know, in a conversation because we don't understand them. We don't, we didn't see the same movies or the same series or the same commercials. So we, we lose a lot of information. And then the language, as you say, because we have some, these differences between that language and our language. And then so many things, expectations, voice, even personality type. So we lose so many information. And when I realized that we hear I don't know, maybe what, 5% of what happens around us in the world, because we filter so much, I was really surprised. Yeah, I was really surprised, like how much we are missing in a meeting, yeah. in something like, like that. And how much we give extra attention to people who maybe don't deserve it. I talk about this a lot as well, that we have this idea of what eloquence is mm -hmm. and equate confidence and eloquence with competence. And there is no direct correlation between confidence and eloquence and competence. There's, they're very different things. And yet 
if we like the person or have positive feelings towards them, or we think they speak so well, we will follow anything they say. We become mesmerized. We can leave the room and someone can say, oh, how was the talk? Oh, it was so great. They're such a great speaker. It was so fascinating. It was so good. What did you learn? Uh, not really sure, but it was so great. <laughs> and people who have mastered this this way of being with their voice, with their accent, with have, have fit the expectation so perfectly that the audience members fall in love with them. They can talk about just about anything and, and get the round of applause and the standing ovation. Whereas someone who has the content, who has the ideas, who has something very significant to say can be completely ignored because of, as you say, the voice uh, or the accent or whatever it might be. And that is a real shame. That's, that's really scary that we have people running businesses who perhaps shouldn't be there, people getting promotions who mm -hmm. perhaps should not be there because they've almost fooled us by being so good at, at meeting expectations and filling that picture of the perfect speaker and the smart and educated wonderful person right you and, really and so thought you really hit the 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 thing the real important thing is don't mm, don't uh confuse confuse uh competence with be uh, a well-spoken person and what you were saying is so interesting because some people find a way to to meet the expectations about how to speak well for example in a meeting and to you know be heard and i have complaints for you know i don't know so many clients that I have this guy in, or, or, or women in the company that could be speaking for half an hour and doesn't say anything. But just because the way the person is speaking, everyone listens. And why I don't have the same opportunity to share my, my, my parts, to share my view. And that really upsets people, you know, to, to yeah. this charismatic leader or this charismatic person that then it can be, for example, uh, promoted because it shows that confidence but actually it doesn't have can can't have the or doesn't have the content as you know someone uh, someone else and that's really unfair almost it is it's very unfair and i really think it needs to change and this is the hypocrisy of my work every single day is one half of me is saying you should not need to change who you are you should be able to speak up with whatever accent, whatever discomfort with public speaking, with what it doesn't matter. You should be able to just express your ideas and be heard as you are. Yet we know the world does not work like that. And that is not going to change anytime soon. The world is governed by bias, by judgment. We all do this. I'm no better than the next person. We all do it. And that's not going to change anytime soon. So I have to give them the skills, the capabilities uh, to adapt and, and become hopefully feeling as though they're still their authentic self, but using a skill set that is not natural to them to have them fit into a world that really shouldn't be judging them according to those standards. So I'm sure you, this probably resonates with you because it's very yeah. similar to your work, right? You have yeah. to show them what to do with their voices to sound the right way. And yet really, if we were being good people, we shouldn't be judging them by how they sound. So it's, it's really difficult because the fact that these biases exist is what keeps me in business, 
right? I'm profiting off of bias and judgment. And that makes me absolutely crazy. And that's why so much of my work is being very vocal about the other side of this of, yes, I'm going to continue helping these people because it's the only way for them to get ahead in this world. But I am also going to continue telling everyone that, you know, these biases exist, that we have to stop and start listening, that we need to give everyone an opportunity. And that has to be a huge component of my work as well. Otherwise, I can't really live with myself because there's so much hypocrisy in what we're doing um, in this field, really. Exactly. And that part of authenticity is what I uh, I try to do with my clients as well. Like, okay, you have this voice. It doesn't have to sound as your colleague or your boss or someone that you admire because this is not your voice. And then you have to be prepared for the dark side, you know, to prepare to not be authentic and it has our voice and the way we speak has to match with our personality our authenticity and also our goal and that's the part where you have to fit in in others expectations because you have a goal you want to be heard you want to you know to belong to that uh, you know to that group or to that society or company so you have to work on both sides on educating people and learning how to listen uh, diversity and different accents but also helping people that need a skill set to 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 thrive and uh, and to be successful so we have in our work we have to do both you know to educating people for uh, and for example in my field one of the things that is more most research uh, and talked about in in science of the voice and how what's the perfect voice for us to listen in which voice should i if i have a candidate a candidate with the one voice and the other voice if i just listen to them what do i find them more competent and then i will vote for them so there's many research around it and i'm always a bit upset when i see this like okay uh women with male with you know a, a deep voice they 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 convey more professionalism and so we should speak you know all this way and like this and that creates for example in in female um in female leaders or women that oh but i should speak like a man should i to be heard should i meet this expectation and i always say no you should be you should be speaking as yourself and your voice and not trying to be a man or try to be to fit in but of course we have to see this in a, in a political and you know a society in an economical context when women started to enter in males dominated industries really to be heard in in politics in you know in economical field the financial field they was they they have to behave like a man you know so they can fit the expectations of why are you working here why are you uh, you know uh, being my leader you are a woman so and we have this in the past 30 years women and the the past 50 years it was even before that women have been changing their voices to meet the male expectations you know in the in the work in the in the work field and i hope that changes in the future because we shouldn't be looking forward to have a, a different voice that it's not natural for us because our voice is a is a is a product of our body and our physiology and we are different and it's a good thing that we are different so we should have a voice that fits our body and not someone else's body and i really advocate for this i really like okay what's the voice that you want but also that's more natural for you so we don't sound strange you know like someone else yeah like you're faking your own voice and and that falls into accent too right people know when you're putting on an accent or you're kind of faking an accent it 
it sounds off. And I think people know too, when you're unnaturally lowering your voice, um, people just feel like, hmm, something isn't right here. They aren't going to resonate with you in the same way. So I absolutely agree with you. It's so important that we can be authentic. I talk a lot about authentic adaptability. So is it possible for these two things to coexist? And I feel that as long as we are not going against our values, our beliefs, our root, you know, beliefs in our life, then adapting is something that we do every day in every conversation. So when I'm speaking to someone, I change a number of things. I change my rate of speech. I change um, maybe not my accent per se, but I work on articulating the certain sounds depending on who I'm speaking with. I'm mirroring and matching their behaviors, their, their voice, everything, the volume. We do this naturally as humans. We are always, always, always adapting. And when we're in cross-cultural settings, we do it even more if we're conscious and aware in our communication. I think that there's a line that we cross at some point that becomes inauthentic. But as long as we can adapt in an authentic way, what we're really doing is growing, aren't we? You know, where it's just like when you move into a leadership role, you have to start behaving differently. Things that were maybe not natural to you before, you have to learn how to be a leader. You aren't born that way. And it's going to feel weird at first and it's going to be funny, but does that mean it's inauthentic? Not necessarily. So I think it's about finding that fine line where we are authentically adapting and still ourselves, our values, our beliefs, our culture is with us, but we are adapting into that situation so we can present our best authentic self for that specific context. And I think we're doing that with voice, with accent, with, with our communication style and skills in general, in, in global environments, we kind of have to, to survive. Exactly. And I, I love this concept that you present, you know, how to adapt and be authentic at the same time. And I, I as, as you mentioned, it's human and it's a, a, a survival tool to adapt. So mm. when people before travel to a, a, for, a, a, you know, for, for another country or for another land and they meet other people, it was really a, a, an adaptation and survival tool to look like, like them, to speak like them. So we immediately, even if you go on a vacation for two weeks, you start grabbing some and catching some of the phrases, some of the accents, some of the way of speaking, and we do it naturally, even two days or three days in, in, a, in a different country. And we do this because it's a survival tool. We don't notice, but we want to adapt to other people so we can communicate better, we can connect better, we can create empathy. So this is also human and natural. So we can see it as, uh, okay, I'm not being authentic, you know? like someone traveling for another country. And I noticed this even when I'm, when I, when I'm in Portugal and I, I'm from the north of Portugal, I'm from Porto and I moved to Lisbon and they, you know, we have all these uh, things like, oh, you speak like Porto. I have a, a really, you know, not a strong accent <laughs> from Porto, but people can notice that I'm from that region. And it's so funny because when I move, you know, even in Portugal and I go from north to south, I speak differently. And I, I, I noticed that because I, I work in this area, but it's okay. Okay. Why should I keep my strong accent from Porto when I know that I'm speaking with a global uh, audience and people from all over? So I'm not getting, you know, super, but also I try not to hide the accents. Uh, mm -hmm. I can... I, I can neutralize my accent, but I don't want to neutralize my accent because I think it doesn't worth the effort, you know, and people don't benefit from it. You know, what's the point? No, what's the point? 
You know, your accent is you. It says so much about where you're from. And just like you were saying in voice, right? They listen and they hear the culture. They hear the education. They hear all of those things. They're making assumptions, but that's what they're hearing. And part of you is your culture. I mean, why would you want to get rid of that? Um, and that that's so I'm glad that you aren't. I'm glad that you allow a hint of that to be there, that we can hear that. Oh, you know, and people may not know, oh, this is Portuguese English, accented English. They may not recognize that, but they'll have an idea. You know, someone from Italy sounds a bit different than someone from Germany or Russia or China. You know, we can hear it in the voice. And that just adds to that conversation, I think. I, I really enjoy it. How boring would the world be if we all sounded alike? Exactly. Right? I, it would be so horrible. <laughs> exactly. No, I totally, I totally agree with that. And so um, if you have to give like three advices to, to, to leaders, to people that need to manage teams in different uh, areas in different countries even uh, global teams so what could be the, the advice that you can give us um well i i have a few little catchphrases that i use quite often so one of them is connection not perfection so that points back to our, our bad English and focusing more on connecting with people, that emotional connection, the empathy, instead of always thinking you need to be perfect. And this goes for everything from language to the project you're working on to your email. I mean, some people just labor over emails for an hour to make sure it's all just right. No, connect with the person. If you connect, you did the job and, and you're building that relationship. The second one, I think we touched on a little bit earlier, and that is substance over showmanship. So having content, substance, something to say, not just the showmanship of, ooh, well, I do my online programs on seven screens and I'm the Zoom master and, you know, I'm so eloquent of a speaker and I can say and do anything, but I'm really not saying anything at all. Like the people you mentioned that, that complain of that, the, the people who are getting promoted who actually have no substance, but a lot of showmanship, we need to flip that. So substance over showmanship. And then the last one is just to be yourself. And I know that sounds so cliche, but it's your accent, your voice, your ideas, your style, be you. And yes, we are going to make small adaptations to that in certain contexts, but still authentically adapting. So you feel that you're still being yourself and not trying to be someone else or modeling someone else. Just be yourself because that's what we connect with. Uh, so, so those those would be my top three, I think. And we go through the to the to the first one. Connection is more important than perfection. So it's like exactly. a, a good a good catchphrase uh, for us to 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 remind and also to 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 think about it. You know, what's the the things that uh, we should pay attention? Really, what's important or or not? So, uh, where can people find more about you? What is your the name of your company? Your website? Yeah, I run a communication consulting firm based in Singapore, but we're now of close global, building a very global network of associates and partners, and that is called Global Speech Academy. So very much focused on global communication, dispersed teams, remote work, and how we are, are yeah, creating connection across the world in these global companies. So globalspeechacademy.com is my corporate website. Very soon, probably within the next month or two, heatherhanson.com is going to be going live. And that will also have a lot of information about my upcoming book, um, which is called Unmuted. And that's already available for pre-order. It comes out in March of next year, March of 22. And you can 
search, you know, Amazon or anywhere else, or you can order directly from the publisher, which is Bloomsbury in the UK. And of course, on LinkedIn, I'm happy to connect with anyone and everyone uh, professionally on LinkedIn. Uh, and I try to share a lot of content, especially around these issues of language bias, linguistic bias, accent bias. That's part of my big mission so that we can start hearing more global voices, because I do really believe that every voice matters. Perfect perfect you are uh, in, the, in the perfect podcast the perfect <laughs> podcast right now uh, so yeah so thank you again so much for having me this has been such a fun conversation and i'm so happy to meet someone who's as passionate about this subject as i am so thanks a lot for for today thank you for listening to this episode did you like it if so feel free to spread the word to discover more about vocal coaching you can visit my website voicepowerleadership.com or contact me through LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. And always remember, your voice matters. All we need to do is make sure we keep talking.